As Christians, we know that prayer is incredibly important for our spiritual lives. And when talking about prayer, we often think about how to make personal prayer a bigger priority. But in the midst of that emphasis, sometimes we forget about the importance of corporate prayer, of talking to God alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in the context of the church. My guest today is Paul Miller, author of the best-selling book, A Praying Life. In our conversation, he deepens our understanding of prayer by highlighting why we need to pray with one another if we really want to experience the full blessing of prayer. Reflecting on stories from his own life and church, Paul's insights in our conversation were truly eye-opening and encouraging. Paul serves as executive director of See Jesus, a global discipling ministry that mentors Christians through seminars, cohorts, and interactive Bible studies. He's the best-selling author of several books, including his newest from Crossway, A Praying Church, Becoming a People of Hope in a Discouraging World. Let's get started. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. So I think it's fair to say that prayer is one of those topics that most of us maybe feel a little bit conflicted about. Uh, on the one hand, we know that it's really important, foundationally important for our lives as Christians. And maybe we've even experienced seasons or moments of real vibrancy in our prayer life. We've felt the, the Lord coming near to us in prayer, and we, we've loved that. And yet I also think we can feel a sense of guilt or inadequacy or frustration when it comes to our prayer lives. So I guess I wonder first to start us off, can you resonate with that kind of seemingly oxymoronic sense that we can have sometimes when it comes to prayer? Yeah, even though I've written a book on prayer and done, I don't know how many, a hundred seminars on prayer. Right. And, you know, you're, kind I, of, you're kind of the prayer guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of the prayer guy. I pray for my praying, you know, because it, it's really a function of my faith life, of my confidence that, that, we, that the unseen world has more weight than the seen world. And our enti- there's been no culture in the history of humanity more, more than ours that has flipped that. I don't know if that was, sentence was too complicated. In other words, our, our world is just alien to faith. Yeah. We, we the are unseen the, world is like out of our mind in yeah, our society today. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, actually, there was some speculation, and you'll see it in some, I think even John Owen mentions this, but in the early church, that the word Holy Spirit, holy because there there's a reference to a couple of references in Isaiah to Holy Spirit but it's really Jesus who begins to use the phrase Holy Spirit but it's in the context of a world that's saturated with overt demons yeah and so it, it it's quite likely that Holy Spirit and and John Owen even makes a reference to this that that holy is to differentiate because when you, you you know if someone were to say there's a spirit in my closet right most of us would think you know assuming he's not kooky that would make us afraid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we see in the New Testament unclean spirits yeah, were yeah, everywhere. That's right. And 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 so in the world, in this pre modern world, which saw things better than our modern world, uh, you had to differentiate. So Jesus is this is a spirit that's good. We don't have to be but our world is so uh, like we are spiritless. If their world was filled with the dangers of evil, ours is just, uh, there. It's, it's like God has disappeared. Yeah. So this, this materialism then that kind of surrounds us, that sort of pervades our secular culture, you think that's 
part of the reason that prayer can feel difficult for us at times. Oh, yeah. If you just look at the history of civilizations, prayer is omnipresent in some form. Mm. It's done badly. It's it, it's always an attempt to control the gods, small g gods. But at least people are aware that the unseen world has weight. Yeah. And there's nothing in our world. And in fact, there's this active suppression of that. Yeah. I mean, it's a very active suppression. So there's the legal active suppression, but that really gets into people's bones. Yeah. Like, for for example, I tell the story in A Praying Life when I uh, was doing a science experiment with my daughter, Emily. She was in seventh grade, and I took it over from my wife, who had accidentally thrown out the science experiment <laughs> of my son the year before. It looked like a bag of trash. Anyway, so we were doing this uh, stream project, and so we pulled up, and so we were analyzing bacterial levels and streams, and I said to Emily, let's pray. And uh, so we prayed, and God helped us, and, and you know, so, so Emily said, okay, Dad, we have to log everything we did. What was the first thing we did? And I said, we prayed. And she said, Dad, I can't write that. <laughs> and, and of course, not. Now, now I'm in dad fighting mode, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to teach her something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to give the ground on this. I said, well, why not? She, she said, they don't want that. All her friends were Christian. We went to church every Sunday. She was in a Christian school. Like she was in a in this Christian bubble, and yet she had inhaled the spirit of the age Yeah, yeah. at, at, at seventh grade. Yeah, what an awesome little microcosm of the world that we live in, that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as you said, you are the author. Probably what people know you best for is your book, A Praying Life. That's it's right. This massive best-selling book that I think touches, it responds to this, this sense of uh, frustration that we can feel when it comes to our prayer lives, and you yeah. offer a, really a breath of fresh air. I, I wonder if you take us back briefly to before you wrote that book. What was it in your own experience, your own heart, that kind of made you think, I need to study this for myself more, perhaps? I need to even write something on this. The the things that fed my prayer life are really I, I try to capture in the book on the J curve that of the idea that J is dying and yeah. rising with Christ and it was that sense in Paul like I had immersed myself in the eighties in justification by faith written a course on that that was really influential in the church but I, I couldn't escape this pattern in Paul that he actually just didn't preach the gospel, but his life looked like the shape of it. And and I begin to ask God to draw me into that. And he just drew me into a lot of suffering. And in that suffering, I learned to pray. I did not set out to study this. Yeah. That's almost nothing in my life I set out to study. There, there was just, there. God kept drawing me into what Paul calls in Philippians 2.10, a fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Huh. And that's where I, be, that, that, that was my school of prayer. Yeah. So prayer was, it was less of this topic that you set out to think about because, oh, that was the right thing to do as a Christian. It was more, sounds like more of a necessity given what God was putting you through. Yeah. Like I d- developed the prayer cards, which a lot of people you have, have been helpful in one of the hardest years of my life when the suffering was so great that, that I couldn't, I was just frozen spiritually like I I was filled with faith but absolutely frozen like I the only thing I could do is sit on the couch in the morning for 20 minutes and read Psalm 23 and it it was that I just 
I call them these prompts from the Spirit that, you know, they're not at the level of the Word of God, but I do think the Spirit, and I don't like using the phrase speak because it can elevate our intuition. It just, could just be human intuition. Yeah. You know, you don't know. But just a, this little th- thought, put the Word to work, came to my mind, and I thought, well, how do I do that? And I, I, I wrote out these prayer cards. I took a piece of paper. I didn't have any 3 by 5 cards and cut it up and made my first 3 by 5 cards, and I, I still use them. Mm. That, that I've just, and I would write out a scripture verse and a situation and then just begin to pray them. Yeah. So in your experience talking to Christians about prayer and about their prayer lives, do you find that many Christians come to prayer or rediscover the importance of prayer in the midst of suffering like you did? Oh, yeah. What, in the Praying Church book, I talk about the praying Annas in the temple, and I have yet to meet Anna in the temple or a Simeon in the temple that, that has, not, has not learned how to pray through suffering. I mean, it does help to have teaching and mentoring on that. It, it really, really does. Yeah. But it's hard to learn how to pray if you think you're in control of your life. Hmm. It helps to have kids. That, that'll, <laughs> that'll teach you that quick. <laughs> that'll teach you that. <laughs> so I recently did a search on Amazon for books on prayer. Yeah. And I saw that there were over 70,000 results, and I'm sure that's not a complete list right, in right. many ways. And it just got me thinking, many people have said many, many things about prayer, both Christians, as we said, but as you were emphasizing earlier, non-Christians as well often value some kind of prayer. So I wonder if you, if you had to boil down your core message, the, the core message behind A Praying Life, behind your ministry, when you, when you help people with prayer, and, and even this new book, A Praying Church, the core idea about prayer that you would want people to get, what would you say that is? I'll say it simply, and then I'll say it complicated. Here's the simple one. It's just what Jesus tells his disciples, become like a little child. Mm. Don't overthink this. Tell God what's on your heart. Bring your heart as it is, messy to God. Grace is for sinners. You qualify. Go. Don't go fixed up. Mm. Just bring the real you to the real God. It's that's so it's seemingly so simple and so obvious, and yet I'm sure we all can feel that temptation to kind of fix ourselves up before we yeah. go to God. Yeah. Why, yeah. Do, why do we do that? Here, this is the more complicated answer. And there is a, I mean, partly it's the human heart, but in the church, and it's particularly in the world of prayer, there's a Gnostic, there's a Gnosticism that functions at the DNA level of the church. And I do mention this in A Praying Life, that where spirituality is kind of on a hierarchy and that you have to say it the right way or or your heart has to feel right, there's a lot of legalism that people bring to prayer, even in the feelings world, like my prayer life, like, like my prayer life should feel good. I, I don't. I mean, that's like saying my marriage should feel good. Well, I mean, that's all over the map. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, it does. Sometimes it does. A lot of times it does, but sometimes it does. I mean, it's just like, why would you? So it, it, so our world is dominated by kind of a secularized Pietism now. Pietism was very focused on how I'm feeling. In relationship to God and and so it, it searches in prayer for a kind of feeling so that's what I mean so it's a kind of a feeling legalism and that's actually very Gnostic 
where where you're hunting for a particular mo- emotion or you're trying, you know, Gnosticism tries to float above this world. Yeah, there's a secret knowledge or experience that we want to attain somehow. That's right. And you're trying to escape your embodiment. And that's why becoming a little child, like just go as you are with your, your go with your, you could go everything as you are to God. Don't try to be something you're not. And Gnosticism and the, the modern step, one of its modern stepchild children pietism it tries to create a new you to improve your brain or hunt for a new you Mm. it's a kind of hypocrisy one of the most interesting penetrating things that you say in a praying church your new book on corporate prayer is you highlight how we often tend to relegate prayer to the world of feelings right Uh, and we we even approach it almost with the mindset of it's a kind of personal therapy rather than it is a real conversation with god yeah so i want to unpack how that that approach to prayer could impact even our motivation for praying with other people. Well, if it doesn't feel good, then we're not going to want to do it. And praying with other people is one of, one of the most striking differences between praying with other people and just your own individual prayer life is that with other people, you have to love them in the act of praying. Now, it really does help to have someone to be schooled in how to pray so they don't get stuck with what I call Aunt Edna's hip, you know. <laughs> we all know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, body parts. Although as I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm, you know, I want to know from Aunt Edna, you know, you know, what doctor are you going to, you know? Yeah, okay. <laughs> any recommendations? Yeah, any recommendations. <laughs> um, but, but, so, so people measure their prayer meeting by the feeling of it. And there are some times that prayer meetings are amazing, just like your personal time. But a lot of time it's just work. You know, uh, like a lot of things, and like, how do I feel about my work? Like we would be, but like with someone would say, you know, I don't really feel good about my work today. I, actually, there's a lot of, actually, a lot of people are talking that way now. <laughs> but in general, in the normal world, if someone doesn't feel good about their work, they still have to work. Yeah, you, you know, what it's I mean? almost kind of expected at times. You, you just know, work sometimes often feels like work. Yeah. But you still got to do it. Yeah. It's still good for you. Yeah. And, and the great thing is it's connected with getting a paycheck and things like that. So we bring this feeling, what Alistair McIntyre calls the emotivism is his word for it. Uh, I call it, I don't know what I call it in the, uh, in the J. Kerr book, feelism. You, you know, it's just the, and so people, it's very strong in the world of prayer. Yeah. That like I should have a sense of God or, well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I mean, why, why, are, you look, why are you looking inward yeah. when this is actually a moving outward? Yeah, and, and that even if you don't have a, this intimate, special, heightened sense of God, doesn't mean the prayer was pointless or ineffective or not yeah. worth your... Yeah, emotions are the tail, okay? That, that, that this is not a new idea. A lot of people have said this. So they follow the heart. So it's the bringing the heart to God and all. And then it bring, doing that in community together. Yeah. So as we've said already, your newest book with Crossway is called A Praying Church. Yeah. And you're trying to help Christians not just pray individually and see the value of that, but actually see the special importance, the special power of praying together with other believers in, in many different contexts. But your assessment of the church's prayer life, the prayer that we do together in many different contexts, is not very good. You write, quote, the American church is functionally prayerless when it comes to corporate prayer. And Barna backs me up on that. Barna, in a recent poll, just maybe five years ago, in a very extensive study, found that 70% of Americans pray 
at least once in the previous three months, okay? Which is, so that includes everybody. Yeah. And so it, it is the most common experience of, it's Americans, and, and the majority of those 70% are Christians. Yeah. But of those, of the people that have prayed at least once in the last three months, only 4% of them did it with another person. I mean, it's just, it, <laughs> so I've got Barner to back me up. Yeah, it's, it's, not a pretty, it's not a big feature of our spiritual lives, generally. Yeah, nor of church leadership. Barnett, the, the, this is uh, maybe 12 years ago that they did another research a study. Uh, they took 12 areas of the church and asked pastors and Christian leaders to, to rank them in terms of importance, and prayer was the, at the very bottom. I think there's like 4% of pastors or 5% put prayer as the first priority. Yeah. It was just like, it wasn't. So at at every level of the church, corporate prayer, and and what's striking is corporate prayer had been one of the dominant features of the church in the 19th century. Mm. What would you say to somebody listening right now who who says, okay, now I, I get where you're going with this. You really just want me to go to my church's prayer meeting, and I've been there before. It's it's so boring. It's so dry. It's just it's not. Is this really what it's all about? Is this really what we're called to do? Is go to like church prayer meetings? How would you respond to that? Well, first of all, I know a lot of people will say I don't even know where I would go to go to a prayer yeah, meeting. Yeah, right. But like it's just not what I. One of the things that that I talk about is just from my years of being a participant and and then a a leader and a teacher within two different praying churches is that one of the six things, I I just list the six things, and I think this is even since I wrote the book, that characterize a praying church. But one of them is that there's a spirit of prayer that, that within a church that gets community, so people are quick to pray. Like it's just kind of a, it happens in the hallways, praying with a, what your wife in the morning or if you're married or praying with a good friend. And so that it's this, and, and what it does is it, you don't do it for this reason, but there's this symbiotic loop going on between prayer and faith and love and that so as you begin it it really creates a divine community so this awareness of the presence of jesus in our community yeah so when it comes to prayer with other christians and and even prayer in the context of the local church uh, sometimes our mind can go right to formal times of prayer whether it's a prayer meeting or prayer during the worship service but there's also the the spontaneous kind of culture of prayer where prayer becomes just the almost the default reaction that we have to situations that come up. How how do you think about the balance of emphasis between the two? How important are more formal, planned times of prayer with other Christians versus cultivating this sense of prayer, a prayerfulness in our interactions with other believers? You you get a lovely symbiotic relationship between the two. And we were probably at New Life Church, so I was there from beginning in 73 for 23 years we didn't like there was this dad started this prayer meeting on thursday morning after he'd really been through some real suffering my dad jack miller and he so he had a thursday morning prayer meeting that went from seven in the morning until 12 and he just opened up his house wow to pray and just invited people the congregation to come in and it was it was a lovely invitation like you never in like you need to be here if you want. There's a macho streak that sometimes praying people yeah. have. We're going to pray for 10 hours straight all night long. Yeah, and I, I am not a fan of 
prayer walls, prayer lists. Like, let's pray in community. That's what you, you're, you're, you're not creating a prayer machine. And I see a lot of <laughs> pastors say, try to solve the problem of prayer by mobilizing the Annas in the temple. You don't need to mobilize the Annas in the temple. They're already praying. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're the quiet. Every church has a couple. Yeah. And they're really lovely and beautiful. And yeah, you grow them and honor. You should honor them. They're your wealthy donors who are really making this church work. Mm. Uh, so this lovely prayer meeting that wasn't macho. It's just he would invite people. He did, you know, hey, come in for on your way to work and we'll pray for you. So it, it, there was a kind of a cadence. Like, I don't think any staff members of our church stayed the whole time yeah you know they would come in dad would make him tea it was an open house almost it was like an open house for prayer yeah it was just lovely and that then encourages people to pray and then dad would model that when someone would say would you pray for me with that dad would pray for them right then yeah partly his he wasn't organized like i was so you know i might as well do it right away yeah yeah just because dad would forget about it but you know so that so you get the one enhances the other. Yeah. It's so funny how often, I think we've all experienced this. Uh, maybe you haven't, but most of us have experienced this talking to somebody and you, the conversation is coming to an end and, and you say, well, yeah, like, I'll definitely be sure to pray for that. And it's like, you kind of know, why don't I do that right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's almost, there's this, this pressure to, it feels too awkward or it feels... So something easier just to do it later, even by yourself. When and what happens is usually you forget. Usually you forget. Yeah, yeah. So just to pray right then, not to set this sort of high, weird, gnostic spiritual bar. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, small as spiritual, and, and and just to be to you just to just to pray then, keep yeah. it simple. Like I love to get husbands and wives praying together, uh, friends praying together. <laughs> I love to mock with other guys, but mo- a mocking culture. It becomes the the sinew of how guys relate, and it kills the ability to just pray together because you feel weird because no one wants to be sort of seen as super yeah. spiritual. Yeah, right. Uh, true, true prayer requires a kind of sincerity and a, a transparency into how we're feeling and how we're doing that is hard when we're constantly ribbing each other. Yeah. So at one point in the book, you describe the various contexts in which you pray with others. Uh, and you say something really incredible. You say the feel of prayer time with other Christians is resurrection. What do you mean by that? Well, that's really at the heart of prayer. And there has been this quiet revolution of rediscovering the Holy Spirit among Reformed scholars that begin with Bavink, who, inter, inter, who influenced Gerhardus Voss, who influenced Ritterboss and John Murray and, and Gaffin, Richard Dick Gaffin, who just retired from Westminster, is really the one who has articulated it with great clarity that you that particularly within Paul's corpus, but it's all through the New Testament, is it, that that the work of the that, that the entire Christian life is resurrection. And that why is that? It's because the entire Christian life is shaped by the spirit of Jesus. Gaffin's recent book in the Fullness Time pulls together a lot of his thinking on that and it's just breathtaking. And it, it was what my father discovered in reading the he Gaffin wrote his his stuff later, but get my dad discovered that the spirit is 
at the spirit of Jesus is at the center of the church. And what it did for dad is it moved all the institutional pieces of the church. What are the institutional, are, are, are the structures like budgets and worship and uh, preaching and uh, a lead pastor and the, those are all good things. But what I saw, it moved them to, to the periphery and it really moved the spirit of Jesus to the center. And my, we, I was in a praying community for 20 years because of my father's rediscovery along following. It's how people in my heritage get filled with the spirit. We read books about the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is true. I mean, it really, I saw my dad change. His faith grew. Huh. I mean, the way Gaffin would put it. My dad would not put it this way, but the way Gaffin would put it is that the gospel is not just Jesus for me. That's the core of the gospel, the atonement, justification by faith, but it's G- Jesus uh, in me, that, that the, the resurrection, so what happened at the resurrection is continually happening in his body, and what, what is so critical, and th- this was my dad's gift to me, is it, it, when you look at Luke and Acts and say the book of Ephesians, uh, prayer is the conduit into the ministry of the Spirit, and my dad got that. And I saw its effect on him. So I don't think you can sustain a praying church unless you understand something of that. Yeah. So I think compared to most of us, Paul, it would be fair to say that you have uh, a robust prayer life. So you're consistently praying for an extended time with your wife each morning, uh, with your daughter, uh, with your coworkers as you get to work. And I think our reaction to seeing someone like you in that can be, wow, he's really disciplined. That must have required a lot of work, a lot of intentional habit formation. And yet you claim in this book that the most important thing that we need is not discipline, but a learned desperation. Right. That's the phrase that you use. I wonder if you can share a little bit more about that. Kind of like how life works. I mean, I've done things without prayer and they don't work real well. They don't last. And the things that I pray for last. I was a history major in college and I I like to study the past and see what happens. And I'm a manager. I like to manage things. I like things to go well. And I've learned that if you rely, that if you make management central, you end up running over people. You don't, my gifts are in management Mm. and organization. So it's probably a temptation to then try to manage everything. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us with our gifts, we want to lead with our gift, but but it is a gift of the Spirit. They are spiritual, capital S, spiritual gifts from the Spirit. They're only alive in this in, in, in a life of prayer and love. Yeah. Unpack a little bit more the, the, the learned desperation part, though. What, what do you mean by desperation, and then what's the learned component of that? I find it best to tell people stories, like one of the stories that I pick up from, that I continue in a praying church, that I started in a praying life, was our daughter Kim would uh, pace upstairs in the early morning, and I'll, I'll try to make this story brief, but Jill and I would take turns yelling at, and I do like to tell people I was the assistant yeller, but... <laughs> Is that because she was up so early and it was... She would get up and start pacing, and we didn't really know why, and I got up and uh, one, you know, one morning I decided to go up and just pray with her. And I, when I went upstairs and prayed with her, it was, it was a typical, simple, you know, Lord Jesus, just would you quiet Kim's heart? It was like a 15-second prayer. And at the end of that prayer, I, 
the only way I can say it is I knew something that I hadn't known at the beginning of the prayer, and that was that I'd underestimated Kim's ability to grow and mature as a person, and Kim's to uh, and to grow spiritually, and that, that I had put Kim in a box, and she's got a lot of disabilities, and and, and I hadn't really even thought about it at this time, but. The, almost the entire church has done that with people with intellectual disabilities. And it led to that. So that was December of 07. In March, we moved. And I would go up once a week and pray with her. In March, we moved. And her pacing stopped because we moved to a quieter street. And the, the diesel trucks in the factory across the street from our old house had been waking her up. And we hadn't put two and two together. And then I, I started having devotions with her. It's like all that just, I'm kind of following this, what I call prompt. And I started having devotions with her that spring of 08. And then I, I eventually uh, started praying with her and sitting down with her and letting her pray. And her prayer life blossomed. And all this stuff came out of that. And, and that summer, I, I also went to our pastor and said, I'm going to stop teaching Sunday school because I, I have to teach Kim. So I was stopping writing. That, that's how I start all my books. I do it either a small group or Sunday school. I would teach a series. And, we're in, and so I stopped my writing. And eventually Jill, so I went down in the basement of the church and with a couple other kids, friends of kids who are, had disabilities and, and taught them. And, and ended up, my wife joined me a, a year later and Jill, and she, she said, you know, I could write curriculum for this. And she started writing curriculum, and I, I, there's a lot of parts to this story, but it ended up launching a Bethesda ministry, we call it Bethesda, of writing curriculum for kids with intellectual disabilities, and hundreds of churches have now used that. And that's the way, that wasn't part of my plan. There was no plan in there. It was just obedience, like there was a whole series of what, what I call the killing function of the Spirit that I entered into, that Paul talks about in Colossians 3 and Romans 8. I was participating in the killing function of the Spirit. I was putting to death a narrow idea I had of Kim, putting to death efficiency in the morning, but, you know, putting to death my writing. And, and as I went into the killing function of the Spirit, he brought life out of that. Yeah, yeah. So clarifying, too, especially in our day and age when I think we often feel overwhelmed. We feel maybe uncertain about the future, what we should be doing. We feel anxious about what we should be doing in our lives. And there's just a certain, you're testifying to a certain clarifying power, a simplifying power as we bathe our lives in prayer. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm a planner. I love to plan. I've done far better in management by not spending as much time planning and more time praying. So in that story with Kim, all those pieces together were really, like, it was really important for me to be repenting. I mean, that's really what, when Jesus baptizes with fire, that, that's what I see in a, a, a praying community that's not obedient to Jesus will not endure in that prayer, or it'll be just be boring. I mean, that's why at New Life there, we had elders getting up repenting. Yeah. You, you know, because they were, it was a spiritual community and capital S, spiritual. Something that were the spirit of Jesus, and he wants to, he wants to conform the body of Christ to the beauty of Jesus. Mm. I think sometimes one of the big hindrances for our prayer lives can be a sense that ultimately it it doesn't make a big enough difference or it's not as quick of a fix for a situation we're in. 
And so we can, we can kind of be thinking in our minds, I could either spend more time this morning trying to get that email written and, and, not, and think carefully about how I should word things to my boss or, or that person. And the thought of then actually putting that aside for a bit and spending more time in prayer about the situation, it can just feel less productive. It can feel like it's a little bit more of a, I, I should do it, but I'm not sure it's really going to actually help me with that. How do you fight against the temptation to sort of view prayer as uh, a less effective, nice thing to do, but when it comes down to it, I've got to fix this myself? Well, obviously it's not, you know, th- there is a tendency within pietism to, to sort of make prayer everything, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like so you've got to work your prayer. You, you yeah. know Prayer's I mean? not going to write that email for you. Yeah, it's not going to write that email for me, and you need to be attentive to your boss. But it just, I mean, no matter what I'm doing, I have a tax business on the side, and I have a couple of prayer cards on that. I just pray for it. I uh, just, it needs help. Yeah. You know? I need help. So I guess it gets back to, really gets back to unbelief. And I would just say, try it. Just, just by try it long enough that you, I was mentoring some of the staff in our church with prayer and it was new to them. And they were used to management and marketing. I mean, those dominate in, in like the, the pastoral world. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're just so and budgeting. Well, it depends on the kind of world you're in, but in the big church world, they're very dominant. And it, one of the guys said, maybe the fourth or fifth week of our cohort said, "This really works," and he'd been <laughs> hostile in the beginning. And I said to him, "You know what? The it is is God." Yeah. You know, <laughs> he really is a thing. Yeah. You know, and that's what prayer is ultimately about. It's, it, about it's really, yeah. I, I actually get nervous about people talking about the power of prayer or prayer works or prayer's the conduit. Yeah. It's my, it's God. It's my God hears me when I call. Yeah. Which I love in the Old Testament, the rich language in the Psalms for prayer. Hear me when I cry. I lift up my voice to you. Where are you, God? Are you deaf? I mean, that's real. That's my wife talks to me that way. Why haven't you taken out the trash? This is second week in a row. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's real communication with a real person. Yeah, yeah. It's so important to remember that. We can so easily slip into, again, viewing prayer as its own isolated thing, even detached from God himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's very strong in the prayer movement. Yeah. And, and, you mentioned pastors a minute ago and uh, the, the training that you've done with pastors over the years in churches. I wonder if you could speak to the pastor listening right now who, who maybe, if he's being honest, knows he hasn't done a great job leading his church in prayer, cultivating a community of prayer, giving opportunities for the church to pray together. What are two or three specific things that he could do, next steps for him, to start to change that in his church? He should start praying. Uh, I would tell him to write out a little prayer card that you, you want your church to become a praying church. I wouldn't do anything for a couple months. I, I would just slow down new things and just begin to pray every day. God, show me how to do this. I don't know how to do it. So be like a little child. You, you know, you don't, I, I tell pastors, don't preach on prayer. I, I just want you to begin to pray. This is, stop all the planning and just slow your planning life down and begin to ask God. Like, like when I'm working with pastors, I'll at, like in small groups, I'll ask them like, what, how powerful is sexual temptation in your life? And con- is called confidential groups. And you know, it's strong, you know, young men, how are you praying about that? And usually it's just zip. 
So there's something really powerful in their life that is a struggle for many of them, and yet there's no that they are functionally prayerless with it. And or another, then I'll switch another. Like what? Like, do you have any difficult men and women in your church? You know, often there is a temptation for wealthy businessmen or women to be dominant because they're used to, especially if they own their own business, they know how to do it. They're self-made people, and you know they often clash with pastors who don't have much manager. They actually need their, their the help of these guys, but a lot of these guys aren't having, are are just sort of quick and judgmental. And so, how are you praying for these people? And there's very little, like there, and often these guys will drive pastors out of churches, you know. Yeah. And so how are you beginning to pray for them, you know? Just, so you would say that if a pastor, if he would focus on his own prayer life, that that eventually that's going to inevitably have a, a ripple effect on the church as yeah. a whole. And, and then I, I would encourage them probably just, you know, to start out and then just begin to get us, depend on who you have in your staff or just to get a prayer meeting, to, to start Luke 16, Jesus teaching, you know, start small, you know, and let it grow. Don't, and just be careful of turning things into prayer shows and prayer machines and you know, just let this thing grow steadily. Develop your own confidence in God. So begin to pray with your staff. Um, and, uh, and I generally suggest a separate meeting on prayer. When The problem when you combine, if your primary way of praying is praying with, in, you know, before or after a meeting, just a staff meeting, then the meeting eats up prayer. So yeah. the, the value but, yeah. of having an hour or a half hour, and don't keep it, keep the size of the prayer meeting to your faith size. So if, if you can pray for 15 minutes well, then take a half hour for just a staff prayer meeting and then take maybe 10 minutes to hear what are you concerned about in your lives or just, you, you know, and then we then pray for 10 minutes or 15 minutes together. I, I even tell them to set a clock to let, it's okay with silence, keep your prayer short. Don't overstretch your faith. Mm. Build your faith slowly. Yeah, that's so good. One final question for you, Paul. In your book, you mentioned your dog. Tully. Tully, a very bad golden retriever. That's I think what it's Kim the phrase. calls it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I just have to ask, as someone who shares the last name with your dog, Tully, okay. now, where'd you get that name? My wife came up with it. I have no idea where <laughs> she got And we had been using Hebrew names for like 20 years for our dogs. And I think we, we left the blessing of using Hebrew names. <laughs> <laughs> and everything went downhill. And everything there. went downhill. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for uh, helping all of us to uh, think a little bit more clearly about this thing, prayer, that we, uh, we've we all experienced. It can sometimes feel so mundane to us, but as you said, we're really tapping into the power of the resurrection when we approach God in prayer, and all the more so when we do it with other Christians. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Paul Miller on the importance of corporate prayer. For more, be sure to check out his new book with Crossway, A Praying Church, Becoming a People of Hope in a Discouraging World. Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off, or get the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org. For more audio content like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a review. 
Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.